The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hour, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about a lot of international privacy issues. And I'm just thrilled because a man I met about, oh, maybe eight or 10 years ago, I don't know if he remembers me from then, but he was privacy commissioner of Australia. And I just had the opportunity to meet up with him again recently and thought, oh my goodness, we have to get him on the show. So let me tell you about this remarkable man. Let me introduce you in a minute here to Malcolm Crompton, who is Managing Director of Information Integrity Solutions, LTD, in Australia. He provides high-level advice to the private sector and public sector organizations on building trust through excellent data governance. Now, this includes such things as collection and use and uh, protection of personal information. He's also the director of Bellberry Limited, a private nonprofit organization that provides health ethics committee services that are in accordance with the National Health and Medical Research Council statement on ethical conduct in research involving humans. And that is also in Australia. And he is the Asia Pacific based director of the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And he recently led the establishment of the Australian-New Zealand affiliate of IAPP, and he was the foundation president. Now, he also was privacy commissioner. We don't have that in our country. We don't have a privacy commissioner. But he was that for five years, and he led the implementation of private sector privacy law that commenced back in 2001. And he's established a global reputation for his forward thinking on handling and governance of personal information. And he's been an invited speaker all over North America, Europe, and Asia, as well as Australia. Now, I could go on and on more and more, and you'll hear more about him, but I really want to get into this interview. But you can find out a lot more about him at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy, where you see his picture, his bio, and you link to his URL and also his website at IISpartners.com. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Australia. Malcolm, you're wonderful. (laughs) 
Thank you, Marie. That's a great rap. I appreciate it. Yes, I do remember the first time that we met all those years ago, and it was while I was still the Privacy Commissioner. Yes. I think it was at one of the Privacy Commissioner conferences some, mm. somewhere in the world. I can't remember. Yeah, it was the IAPP conference, I think, but I always love that accent oh. of yours, so it's wonderful. <laughs> It it does mean I have to speak slowly because nobody has heard my accents in Crocodile Dundee let it out. (laughs) And it's wonderful. So why don't you give us a little background on how you went from being a research scientist to a privacy expert? Uh, Well, my father was a research scientist and I also uh, entered science as a chemist and I undertook some uh, research into the... Uh, folding of proteins so that it was the the three-dimensional structure of ribonuclease A from hen egg white. A very, very obscure, small topic in one way, but very, very important to understanding how our own bodies work. Hmm. I soon realised that, in fact, while I was a good technician, I could do drive machinery well. Science is a very creative art, and I just feel I didn't have that creative spark. Instead, I took up what ended up being by my vocation, which is civil service. I worked in the public service in Australia for more than 20 years before working in the private sector, and then I was literally invited to be the privacy commissioner. So how's that for luck? I know, but how did you get into privacy? How did that become your specialty and your incredible expertise? It's life factors are really interesting. When I worked in Department of Finance in Canberra, which is a bit like the Federal Office of Management and Budget, at one stage there was a proposal to introduce an identity card in Australia called the Australia Card. And the Australia Card was supposed to be used for individuals interacting with government in a very limited range of circumstances. And I happened to be in the room one day when all of the Cabinet submissions were piled up in one large pile containing all the proposals from all the government agencies on how they would propose to use the Australia card. And I could see the future of Australian civilian life in front of me there. We were going to be running around with an identity card that we would have to produce in all circumstances, all of the time, every day. It was Ugly. Yeah, it sounded like Nazism. Now, I moved in. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like the Nazi Germany? Yeah. yeah. But that stayed with me as a memory for a very long time. And I worked in the public service in lots of other areas as well, uh, whether it was making the federal budget for Australia, which is the equivalent of helping ministers spend one quarter of the gross domestic product of Australia or retirement income for public servants or reforming public service, a great range of things. But this memory stayed with me always. And then um, later on when I had left the public service and I was working in the private sector, I was literally invited by the Attorney-General of Australia to become the Privacy Commissioner. It's probably a long story of networking how those things happen, but it was literally an invitation and it was a great honour which I was pleased to accept. Now, were you the, the first privacy commissioner or had that been uh, a, a, an office that had been established? Oh, very good question. In fact, as a result of the Australia card, which was rejected by the people of Australia and was never implemented, one of the things that they did was 
to still go ahead and create the office of the Privacy Commissioner and there were two people who were Privacy Commissioner before me but the Privacy Commissioner at that stage only regulated the public agencies very much like the Privacy Act 1974 in the USA, the, the federal public sector. Right. Uh, later on it was extended to cover credit reporting so very much um, the kind of considerations that you have in... Uh, uh, I think the FACT Act and some of the other legislation in the US, but basically credit reporting. Right. But I was invited to be the third commissioner, but be the commissioner who helped to draft and implement the legislation that extended the coverage of the Privacy Act out to the private sector. Um, and so that was a five, essentially a five-year project. I was commissioner for five years, and it was a five-year project, an immensely interesting and fulfilling task. And you just soared in that position because you have learned so much and now you've just taken the bull by the horns and really gone with it. And, and I mean, that, that's why you were even invited to the Poneman Institute where I saw you again. So that's a, quite an honor for you, Malcolm. You are really the top dog there. So it's, uh, <laughs> I love it. Until, now let's, until the current privacy commissioner. <laughs> right. Okay. I'll be quiet. Well, they don't have to hear it in Australia. <laughs> but tell me about... Yeah, more, much, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say that um, the reason the privacy commissioner's job was so interesting is that if you think about data privacy, especially data privacy, it is actually all about managing the relationship between each of us as individuals and the wider world, but especially your interaction with government and your interaction with business. And, and we're discovering our interactions with each other through social networking and other things like that. So there actually is a deep philosophical basis for being interested in these issues because if we get it wrong, we have changed or even damaged society. But if we get it right, there are these fascinating, enabling, exciting, thrilling technologies that we can all use into the future, and it is actually our choice as a society as to which of those pathways we want to follow, and it's truly a privilege to be part of that debate. Yes, and it's such a new debate that it's, um, you know, we're just kind of like the Wild West here with, with all of the technology, <laughs> isn't it? It's just, well, it's good for an Australian, right? <laughs> it's a great thing for an Australian to just create that, and you in Australia are really... Um, look at things a little bit differently than we do in the United States. So so let's talk about that. How how is it different in Australia between Australia and the US? How how are we different in the way that we look at privacy? If you could compare those for us cuz I know you have so much uh understanding of what we have here in the United States as well. Thank you. Uh, Australia philosophically is often very much trying to choose the best of Europe and the best of the USA. And these days, as we watch the emergence of Asia, the best of Asia. So our population is actually extremely mixed uh, with people from all over the world, huge rates of immigration uh, and a very mixed culture. It's really exciting country to be in. And our privacy law reflects that. We're trying actually to find the best mix between the European approach to a firm privacy law with a specialised regulator, 
but yet have freedom in which business and government can innovate and get along with the job. And so when this privacy law was designed, the Attorney-General of Australia, when he introduced the legislation to the Australian Parliament, he actually described the privacy law as light touch, Hmm. deliberately meaning to say that while business would have a new set of privacy obligations based very much on the OECD privacy guidelines, that nevertheless there would be room to move for business. We were trying to find a sweet spot for business. And one of the things that I knew as Commissioner, and I think frankly every lawmaker has to know, is the only thing you can be certain of is that your law will not get it right completely. (laughs) There will have to be things that change. Uh, The world moves on. And so one of the agreements that I reached with the Attorney-General was that we would have this law reviewed after it had been actually in operation for two years. And the first review was undertaken by the successor to me, Karen Curtis, as Privacy Commissioner, and she in turn recommended that a much more fundamental review was needed by a very important body in Australia called the Australian Law Reform Commission. And the Law Reform Commission did exactly what I expected it would do, which is to say... Light touch was probably the right thing to do at that time, but the world has moved along. We need to strengthen the powers of the Commissioner. We need to review the privacy principles and bring them up to date. And government is still digesting that review. But it's very important that we started in a particular Australian place on how we wrote this law, and very importantly, we keep the issues under review. I do think that the Australian Parliament and our parliamentary system is probably more nimble than the US congressional system for keeping its laws sensibly under review and modifying them as we go. And this is just an example of it. So our privacy law would feel to the Europeans as recognisable. They would recognise the OECD guidelines in there. They would recognise that there was a specialist regulator there, the Privacy Commissioner, but the Europeans, and they have said so, also think that the way the law is currently enforced in Australia is just a bit too light touch, and that there are some exemptions from the coverage of the Act that they don't really agree with. So we've probably pleased everybody and pleased nobody (laughs) at once, but I think our privacy law has had material impact on the private lives of Australians. Now, would are you an opt-in regime? Do you have an opt-in regime with regard to the collection of information by the commercial uh, sector? Oh, that's a good question. Now, our privacy principles follow the information life cycle, such as, again, you would recognize, for example, also in the um, FIPS. So if you're collecting personal information, you are obliged to give notice that you are collecting the information. But it's not opt-in, it's opt-out. Unless the information is sensitive information, and that is the word sensitive as defined in the privacy law. So sensitive information is health information. Sensitive information is information about your religious beliefs. Sensitive information is whether or not you belong to a trade union or other associations. But sensitive information as defined in the law is not financial information. Interesting. But if it's sensitive information, 
you, as an organisation, are required to gain consent from the individual to collect that information, except under particular and very sensible circumstances. Hmm. And the rest of the privacy law is, again, exactly what you would expect. If you've made a promise when you collect the information, you must keep that promise. The use and disclosure must follow what you said you would do with the information when you gave the privacy notice. Uh, then the rest of the privacy law simply says keep the information complete, accurate and up-to-date, keep the information secure, uh, give people access to that information if they ask for it, and that's a very big difference between Australian law at the moment and US law, and particularly with regard to health information, was a fundamental game-changer. And then there are some other privacy principles relating to the use of government identifiers and trans-border data flow and so forth. So anybody who's familiar with constructs of, of privacy frameworks in Australia, in the US or in Europe will find all of what I've just said quite recognisable. Right. We are speaking with Malcolm Crompton, who was the privacy Austra- the Australian Privacy Commissioner for five years, and he is now Managing Director of Information Integrity Solutions, LTD, in Australia. And he has an incredible background Now, Malcolm, let me ask you something. As Privacy Commissioner, did you have the right to actually have enforcement? I mean, were you able to enforce the law? Unlike with the Federal Trade Commission can only, uh, cannot represent individuals in this country. They can go after companies and find them, but not on behalf of individuals. Now, how is that different or the same and for the Privacy Commissioner in Australia. Very good point. The Privacy Commissioner for the private sector has two pathways, really, or three pathways. Um, The first pathway is that if an individual lodges a complaint with the Privacy Commissioner, the Privacy Commissioner must investigate that complaint. There's no choice. The Privacy Commissioner must investigate that complaint. Now, the Privacy Commissioner can set aside the complaint after some preliminary inquiries for a number of reasons, including that the complaint might be frivolous uh, or, or in fact, that the complaint is satisfactorily resolved. And the vast majority of the complaints that are lodged with the Commissioner are set aside as satisfactorily resolved because the Commissioner's office has a large group of people who are working alternative dispute resolution processes to reach that resolution. So we, in the Privacy Commissioner's office, the complaint is received, the position of the respondent is sought, and then a dispute resolution process is run to try and get the parties to come to an acceptable resolution. And that, that is a very, very successful process. So that's the vast bulk of what happens. Oh, that's great. So you have a bunch yes. of ombudsmen or, or mediators. Yes. Are they, are they yes. within the office, so they act like an ombudsman? Is that what they're acting like? Or are they yes, acting they are like a real mediator? They are staff within the office acting as mediators. Oh, that's great. Now, what happens if the complaint... If the complaint is not satisfactorily resolved, the the Privacy Commissioner can make a determination. Now, those determinations are quite rare, and in fact, I'm still the Commissioner who made the last determination, and I made a number of them in 2004, because because we were just not getting resolution of some of the complaints. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Australia's constitution is a strange mix between the English Westminster Constitution and the US Constitution. And so part of our constitution involves the separation of powers in exactly the same way as in the US, where the judiciary and the executive are kept apart from each other. Right. So because I am the privacy or was the privacy commissioner, I was part of the executive and not part of the judiciary. And in the Australian constitution, only the judiciary can make binding enforceable, enforced decisions. I see. Mm-hmm. So when the Privacy Commissioner makes a determination, normally the respondents to that determination will simply obey. But if enforcement is needed, the Commissioner actually has to go to the courts to seek enforcement because only the courts have the power to enforce. Hmm. And yes, that has been done. So there is a pathway to enforcement of the Commissioner's decisions. And that is, again, a process that is very much an iron fist in a velvet glove. It is not a pathway that is used very often, but everybody knows that it is available. The Commissioner can seek enforcement. Right, so there is some tea. Now, separately, yeah. oh yes, oh yeah. yes, mm-hmm. don't let the privacy advocates tell you otherwise. <laughs> The second pathway is that the Commissioner can initiate investigations if the Commissioner wants to, even without receiving a complaint. Now, the Commissioner's powers in that circumstance are weaker and they cannot lead to basically an enforceable result. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a third pathway in the privacy law that has been used, again, very rarely, which is an injunction-making power. And in fact, anybody in Australia can take out an injunction, including the Privacy Commissioner, either to ensure that an organisation begins to obey the privacy principles or stops disobeying the privacy principles. And that that power was used very recently in quite an interesting dispute between a series of very senior lawyers in Australia. So we have a number of pathways in the Australian law for ensuring disputes resolution and for enforcement of complaints. But very interesting, the the Law Reform Commission report that I mentioned, it was um, completed and submitted in 2008 and is still being worked through by the government because it was such a complex report. That report recommended that the powers of the Commissioner actually be strengthened. It is part of moving away from the, the light touch approach of previous years. Now, the government has indicated in principle that it accepts those recommendations from the Law Reform Commission and they were spoken about at the IAPP Australia-New Zealand conference that we held in Melbourne, a very successful conference last week. And it's very clear that both the Commissioner and the the Privacy Minister, uh, the Executive Minister in charge of privacy, both of them spoke at the conference and they both indicated that they expect the Commissioner eventually to be given more powers by the Parliament. Yeah. I think it's interesting that that your government institution in the commissioner's office can can really get redress for individual citizens, which I think then they wouldn't have to have a lawsuit if they're getting some kind of mediation. And it sounds like they're doing very well with your dispute resolution program. So I think that's that's what's yeah. very different than we have here. We either have these class action lawsuits or, you know, which, which, you know, really cause a lot of problems and don't really help too many people except 
for the attorneys, and I'm an attorney, so I can say that. Or what happens is that there's no redress whatsoever because many of our laws that are privacy laws don't allow for a private right of action. So that means that the individuals really are harmed and can't get redress. So I, I really think the way you have it in your country is is great because you're getting individual redress, but you're also building in dispute resolution to actually be proactive to avoid those crazy lawsuits. So it's it's really... A, and I, there's one other major difference, Marie. There's one other very big difference. We are watching, and I was reading about it again. Um, you know, we read about it all of the time. The American concept of when you can gain redress is based on a very narrow definition of harm. Yes. It basically has to be something very close to financially compensable harm. Yes. Now, we we know in our hearts that your privacy has been invaded well before there is financially compensable harm. Yes. You have been made to feel small. You have been made to uh, look like a fool. A person uh, gets to know things about you that you think are private and intimate it's very hard to derive financial compensation out of those problems. Yes. Uh, it is very much the European concept that harm goes way beyond the very narrow definitions that are currently being applied by the American courts. And in the Australian law, the same sort of thing applies. It is a much wider concept. And frankly, I think all of us believe that privacy is of that nature. But it also means why you need to have a low-cost dispute resolution process. The American process is for the wealthy or for the class. Now, the ordinary individual for a once-off problem simply doesn't have an avenue unless the company, in its good graces, decides to do the right thing. In Australia, we do have a low-cost process. That's why we've got this alternative dispute resolution process in order for the ordinary guy in the street who's got a problem, who feels like the wrong thing has been done with personal information about them, can get something done about it. I think it's a huge gain. It, it's, it's a great concept, and I've been a, an attorney mediator for 26 years, so I am just really very supportive of what you're doing and, and really think that we, do, we are behind you, way behind in getting that kind of a more peaceful resolution that doesn't interfere with people's businesses, that they can continue to do business and that the individual can get some redress quickly. So I think it's great. So Barry, that's, that was one of the really important lessons that came out of while I was the commissioner. It's the lesson that we all learn. If the organisation is willing to say sorry promptly and sincerely, then really the individual is mostly actually only looking for two things. It's really interesting. Number one, they want the apology. And number two, they want to know that this won't be done to anybody else. It's actually a very social concern that a lot of people have. And if only organisations understood better the value of speedy, prompt apology on those two lines, we would be so much better off there's no point in bringing out the lawyers because that is immediately going to create aggro. It's going to create us and them. Yes. And in fact, moving quickly, even if you feel that the complaint is marginal, but still, if you like, tapping the mat and saying, I'm sorry, gets things off the books 
so much more quickly and it is a barbecue stopper. People will start talking about the wonderful service your organisation gives because it is able to recognise that the ordinary individual sometimes gets hurt. We see that in some companies, we see that in some remarkable companies, but the number of companies that resist that because they believe that there will be precedent or that there will be law court action or something else, it's really very sad. It's not a happy society when we reach that point. No, and I, I am with you 100%. And, you know, so there are a lot of attorneys who are mediators, so I just want to say that to you so that you would know that there are attorneys in there that are really conflict healers that want to see this kind of thing yeah. happen. And and that's there's quite a few of us out here in, in our country, and especially in California, who are promoting this kind of peaceful resolution quickly and get on so that business can flourish and people can have their dignity. And so I'm with you 100%. And believe it or not, we are out of time, Malcolm. We're going to have to have you back again. (laughs) It's great. The time flies, right? It sure does. Give us your website and just quickly tell us what's on it. So our website, iispartners.com. We have a publications page, lots of publications and PowerPoints there for you to look at. Please go and have a look. Okay, you are wonderful. Well, good day, mate. We'll have you back again. (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. My pleasure. Anytime. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy Piracy. Join us every Monday morning right here on KUCI at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. See our upcoming guests, download podcasts, listen to archived interviews, and write us about what's important to you in privacy in the information age. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.